Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Father, we just pray for uh, Pastor Jay and, and God, we pray that you would do what we can and and that God, if there even be a way to do a miracle in his back, God, and, and, and even just the, the ease of the pain as, it incre- as it's always there. I know he goes with, deals with chronic pain and, and just his heart and his spirit, how, how he uh, uh, comprehends that and what he goes through, that you would be the comforter and you would encourage him. And the same thing for Snoop and her family and, and just this tragedy, God, of, of losing someone so tragic and others being hurt and all the questions that go along with that. And I just pray that you'd be that present help that you say in the time of need, in their time of need. I also pray for James and the family, that uh, the people that have been diagnosed with stage four cancer and, and all those that are affected by that diagnosis. Um, I pray for salvation. I pray for encouragement. I pray for um, you to just... Uh, do again, God, something there. Um, you show up in those places and um, just to be there for James himself and, and what he must be thinking and going through, uh, all those questions that we have and where life starts to slow down. I pray for that. I pray also for uh, Snoop and, and uh, I pray for Kevin, God. I pray for him right now that he would know that his church that loves him, his body, his family is praying for him this morning and that he would be encouraged um, I pray that uh, the doctors would be able to um, find what they need to if there is something to be found. Um, and I just pray that you would uh, give him good health, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. So this morning, I'll be speaking on um, the topic is the gospel and judging. James is basically uh, nailing down and summing up uh, what he started through pretty much the whole book, um, but where it talks about speaking and the tongue and the effect of negative speaking, um, here in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he starts to go in on evil speaking and judging. So what happens is, is what James is saying overall is when we speak things that are, that are hurtful and not helpful, Ultimately, it ends up in us making ourselves out to be God. Obviously, the effects of it is destructive, or the effects of it is, is, is devastating. Um, and it's something that he actually doesn't say, well, I'm suggesting, but he starts off by saying, do not. So if we could look at James chapter 4, 11 and 12, and um, I would like to read that together with you, James chapter 4, 11 and 12. How many have your Bibles this morning? You got your phone, that's it. That's the Bible. Bible on the go, right? Chapter 4, 11 and 12. It says, Speak no evil one I speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, Thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges one another? So on this first part 
of 4, verse 11, halfway through that verse, he's talking about, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother. Before we go into speaking evil and about judging that James is talking about, I want to be able to talk about judging, okay? So when it comes to judging, I want to ask a question. Who here believes it's okay to judge? Oh, we got one, we got two, got three. Okay, all right, all right. Everybody's looking around. Okay, you raise my hand, I'll raise my hand. Okay, so our first inclination is to say, no, it's wrong to judge, right? And it comes from the verse that everyone uh, will, or people will quote right away about not judging. And that comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. Who's speaking here? It's Jesus. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let's make, I mean, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is speaking here about a specific judging, and it's a hypocritical judging. And that's where he says right there, he says, you hypocrite. What he's saying is, whatever little speck that you're trying to point out in someone else, in your brother or sister's eye, in another believer, you have a log sticking out of yours that just trumps that and overpowers this whole thing about you going. In other words, maybe, uh, you know, you're uh, wanting to call out somebody for uh, breaking the speed limit um, when you are actually uh, ramming into cars yourself. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that would be, be a, sort of like an analogy of how it hypocritically say, hey, you know, don't be, you know, parking, you know, where you're not supposed to, but yet you're parked in a handicap sign area. So uh, that's hypocritical judging, but we will sometimes use this out of context and say it's just not right to judge. But actually, Jesus clearly says at the end of this verse, he says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is saying it is okay to judge because he's saying you'll be able to take the speck out. There's only one way to know there's a speck in someone's eye unless you, only one way is to know is by making a judgment. A judgment is a determination. Now, there's another type of judgment, which is to condemnation, and that's different. We'll talk about that later, but this judgment is to make a determination, right? To see something. So, I want to talk about different types of judging before, again, we keep going towards the judging that James talks about. There is the judging that belongs to God alone. There is the judging that belongs to God alone. Uh, Psalms 50, verse 6 says, Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. James chapter 4, verse 12 also says it in our very scripture. It says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? In other words, there is only one that can judge, and that is 
that ultimate determination of who someone is and where they might spend eternity belongs to God and God alone. Now, there is a judging that Jesus and Paul tells us to do. Let me say that again. There is a judging that we are expected to do. We already saw where Jesus said, take the speck out of our brother's eye after we have learned to examine our own life by the same standard. Right there we see that Jesus is saying we should judge. Here are a couple of verses that we find Jesus saying this again in James, I mean John chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. In Luke 17, 3, he says, he commanded us to rebuke a trespassing brother. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. So we do find Jesus saying this. Likewise, Paul says to rebuke sin. In 1 Timothy 5.20, he says, those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. In Titus 2.15, he tells Titus, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 2 Timothy 4.2, he says, he tells Timothy to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, to admonish the unruly. In Romans 15.4, he tells the Roman church that you are able to admonish one another. Ephesians 5.11, he says to the church, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Paul tells the Corinthians to establish church courts to judge and dispute between believers. So we find here that Paul and Jesus and the apostles in areas judging one another, making right judgment, and also letting us know it's our job to judge as well. Now, of course, that word judge has a negative connotation in our culture and in our minds. Even as I say it, it makes me feel uncomfortable, right? 1 Corinthians 5.12 says, For what have I do with judging outsiders? Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about uh, dealing with a severe matter um, of a young man that decides that it is okay to go ahead and, be, uh, and to sleep with his father's wife, obviously be his stepmother. And he says that it's not even, not even the, the, those that don't believe do such things and he's going around doing it, saying it's okay, and the church is giving the approval that it's okay as well. There's no remorse for it. So he says, what do I have doing with judging outsiders? He says, is it not those inside the church whom are you to judge? So in other words, he's saying, yes, we are to judge those that are on the inside. I want you to make a mental note, though. We pretty much have no business judging those outside of the church, the unbeliever. And I say that because... What does the dead have to do with judging the dead? And we'll talk about that more towards the end of this, about how we were all sinners, dead to God in our sins, guilty. We have no right judging someone else that is also dead in their sins, in their trespasses. What does the guilty have to do with judging the guilty? 
uh, it really irks me so much, uh, and I'm sure I've done it as well, but to see people in the name of being a Christian to really harp on all the bad things that people do that don't believe in Christ. There is like no purpose in that whatsoever, but to elevate yourself, elevate ourselves. Uh, there's no, it's not a remorseful, it's not a, out of a place of, you know, I, I, I could imagine the suffering and the hurt that they go through in their sin and with their sin and how we want them to come to know the gospel and to be able to experience a life transformation through what Jesus Christ has done for them. It's not from that place. It's just this, I'm a Christian and I'm saved and, and somehow I measured my life in some way or some fashion where publicly you can see maybe some difference. So therefore, I'm good. They're bad. I'm going to speak down to them. And that's pretty much what James is talking about. We're saying it with the believers. But note right here, even Paul says, Paul being one of that's wrote most of the New Testament, that has probably been the best example that we could see in Scripture. I really have a hard time finding error in, what, in, in Paul's life that we see recorded. Uh, he is not perfect whatsoever. He calls himself the chief of sinners, saying that he too should not even judge the world. So just a mental note on that. That's not what this is about. And um, yeah, so when we sin... Our Christian brothers and sisters have an obligation to speak the truth in love about our sin. We must not con they must not condemn us, but they must, out of love, call us to repent. That's a loving thing. Such judgment is a grace, an expression of God's kindness, Romans uh, 2.4, and we only compound our sin if we take offense. How are we to do this? Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's all about restoration. In, my, uh, in the sermon that I preach, um, the gospel and confrontation or, or confronting, go back and listen to that. It's not an extensive and totally thorough uh, teaching about confronting or, or this topic, but it does talk a lot about it. I, and this is not what this sermon is about. But I want to say this when, it, when, it, when we come into judging, to put that note out there. Galatian clearly gives us the right spirit, the right heart. It says, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. And the last part nails it. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, the very thing that you're about to approach with whoever else it is, you too could be tempted and could fail in that same way. So it's never from a place of, I've got it, but it's from a place of, man, I, I'm here for you. I love you. This must be hard. You know what I'm saying? And it's gentleness. So uh, again, this teaching is not about that. But here's another judgment. The last type of judging is what James is referring to, and we'll dive a little deeper into this one. Uh, James chapter 4, the first, far, uh, first half of 11 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother. So to speak evil is to slander, is to criticize, 
is to gossip, is to judge, is to put down. That's what speaking evil is. And it's linked in with judging. The Greek word for speak evil comes from two words, down and to speak. Down and to speak. Speaking evil means to speak down about someone. So to be derogatory about them. To degenerate means to put them down of a fellow believer assumes a superior position over them. It's speaking down. Here is how we slander others in a number of ways. We slander by blatantly false accusations. Diotrephes, I guess that's how you say it, maligned the apostle John. Religious leaders, leaders spoke evil of Jesus. And the devil is the accuser of the Christian. We slander by blatant false accusations. There's no evidence whatsoever. There's no facts in that. We slander others by exaggeration of faults that are true of them. So yeah, they've got a fault. But this fault that was at level one, we took to level 10 in one second, right? So we exaggerate. We make people worse than they are by these distortions. Another way is we can also slander others by needless repetition of true faults. So us repeating, right? Us uh, saying again, repeating their faults. True love covers the faults of others. As the old age saying goes, if we can't say something good about someone, say nothing at all. But when we repeat something that someone has done, it does nothing but slander. For example, we will say something like, I will pray for them in their awful state. It sounds holy, it sounds good, but in the final analysis, criticizing others evaluates us over others. It makes us feel good that we are better than they are. We're better than them. We're better than them. First Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So there are things that we don't know about someone. We do not know their motives. We do not know their deepest thoughts. We do not know their reason. And we don't know their story. Each and every one of us function out of this story in our life that, has, that we have been living from the day that we were born. We've never walked in their shoes. We, we've never, we don't comprehend from their angle, from their, from their story. We do not know these things so we must not judge the hidden purposes of the heart of other Christians. Based on their decisions, actions, perspectives, words, personality that concern us, if those things themselves are not explicit sinful, we must not judge those things. We must not assume sin if we suspect it, given our own bias and our own suspiciousness that we can have or that we can be. 
In Peter uh, 4.8, 1 Peter 4.8, it says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For the love, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We should not not elevate ourselves by putting others down. Because no one has a high opinion of a negative, fault-finding, critical person. See, when we put someone else down, the person that speaks these hurts hurts the person they're speaking about, those that are hearing it, and also themselves in the very speaking of that evil. James is not the only one that commands this, but Paul does this, and it makes the same commands in Ephesians 4, verse 30. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It's interesting how we'll find the grieving of God's Spirit, and it makes sense to me that this would make God sad, or it would cause him to grieve. It would make the Holy Spirit grieve. It says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has come and done a redeeming thing. He has brought us from death to life. He's enabled us to see our sin and see the forgiveness of God. He's able to give us a new nature. We were sealed by that. But that same Holy Spirit becomes greed. It says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let it be put away. And last, to seal this on what we're not supposed to do, which I think all of us in the room already know this, but I think sometimes we take it very lightly, is Proverbs 6.16. It's the, one of the things that God hates. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates in Proverbs 16, uh, 6, 16 and 19. Seven that are an abomination to him. So it's not alone is it he hates it, but it's also an abomination. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. So haughty eyes comes from being prideful. That's where you become critical. I become critical is because we're prideful, right? Talk about it a little bit more later. Um, and then a lying tongue. We don't know for sure if that's what it is. We're lying about it. We're just a lying tongue, period, right? Hands that shed innocent blood, right? Murder. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. And this last one, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. When we decide to take that place of judging and speaking evil and slandering and criticizing, if it takes root and it does its work, it will ultimately cause discord, which is division in whatever scenario that is, whether it's a family or your church family, or your, your work family, or your neighborhood, a relationship, it'll cause that discord. The very opposite of what the gospel does. The gospel brings us together in union with God to have relationship with him and relationship with each other. What's the root? What's the diagnosis? So we know the wrong, and it's easy to get up here and preach about what is wrong and, and what we should not do. But what is the diagnosis? Well, let's look at the rest of our passage. We are 
teaching out of today, and I'll read from the beginning to the end, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So the latter part goes into it right away and says, look, you're speaking evil against the law. What is the law? It's what God's word says, what he requires, what he says is good and bad. You're basically taking that word that says that we're all sinners and there's none of us that can mount to uh, be able to mount to fulfill this law and becoming a judge when it says do not judge. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. So now it's not alone that you uh, disobey what God says and you're speaking against God's law and his law of, of liberty and his law right of, of, of truth that says that he gives us grace and that he dies on the cross for us. It's not alone that you speak against that, uh, but now you become a judge of the law. You become God. There's only one lawgiver, so he's saying, I'm going to make it really clear. There's only one that can give the law, and there's only one that can judge. He was able to save and to destroy. Are you able to save? Am I able to save? Am I able to destroy? No. But, he, but who are you to judge your neighbor? When you criticize, speak evil, say something wrong, when I do that, to someone or about someone, you yourself are worse than they are because you now became a judge, self-righteous, and made yourself out to be God. Those are hard truths. Holy smokes. The root cause is a low view of what God says, his law. The root cause is a low view of God's holiness. That God is not that holy. That somehow we will bring it down to our level to get to a place where we can say what God's law is and then judge others by it. And then it's also a very low view of the impact and the guilt of our sin that leads to a low view overall of the gospel the good news. That means that we think what God requires is obtainable within ourselves. That we have a low view of his holiness and somehow we think that God is not really that holy and we think somehow we can achieve that holiness. Jesus talks about this in Luke and, it is a, and he really spells it out. Luke 18, 9 to 14. Do we have that verse? Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. I mean, just spells it out. It says, to some who were confident. There you go. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up into the temple. So right away we see in verse 9, it says, uh, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. It gets worse. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he 
would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's crazy is, is that the, this man that comes to the temple, he knows he's coming to the temple. The temple is where God's holy presence is. He knows that if you are in not right standing, if you were to step into the inner courts of the temple, in the inner part of the temple, that he would die. So he's coming knowing that he's coming to a holy God. And he goes to say, this is how I am not like someone else. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers. But what's sad is that he's robbing God of his glory. He says, I'm not an evildoer, but yet he's committing evil by judging this other person. He says, I'm not an adulterer, but I love myself and I love my self-righteousness so much that I left your love for me and committed adultery. Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Here's what I do to earn your forgiveness. This is what I do to make myself right with you. I pay you off by my deeds. This is what I do. Self-righteous. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says he goes home justified. He does not come home justified because he puts himself down. He does not go home justified because of what he said. He goes home justified because God has enabled him to be able to see his sin and to realize the forgiveness that God has for sinners. Not because he did anything. The low view of the law and what it requires. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written by the book of the law and do them. There's only one way to be able to live your life by rules and regulations and things that you think that you can accomplish and you can do on your own effort. It's doing them all and doing them perfectly. And it's a curse because it's this heavy weight of doing and performing and trying to make life right on your own in some way, in some fashion. We do not realize how bad our sin is when it comes to a holy God. So we either bring God down and say he's okay with that sin or we make light of our sin and say it's really not that bad. I want you to know that it's way worse. That our sin is way worse. I know I said this before, but I'm probably going to say it a million more times. That our sin is way worse than what we could ever imagine. But I want you to know that this is good news. And the reason why that our sin being worse than we ever can imagine is such good news is that we have a forgiving God. And that he forgives us of all of our sins. Hopefully this makes a little bit more sense a little bit later. 
but I don't want to go into it all. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So Galatians 3.10 is saying, I'm going to make the law something that I can do and be obtainable within myself. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to not cuss. I'm going to not this. I'm going to not that. I'm not saying those things are wrong or bad. Those should be fruits of what God's doing in your life, and all credit and glory goes to Him. And that, that is a, a, a good thing and a blessed thing, but if those are the things you're hanging on to make yourself feel okay and justified, those are the things that you're bringing of, of the law into your life and allowing yourself to think that some way, somehow, by doing those things, you're okay with God, and that's what Galatians does but Ephesians spells it out he says and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince and power of the air the spirit that is now at, the wor- at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh who here has never carried out a passion of their flesh who here has not carried out the desires of the body who here right and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So if we make light of the law, we make light of our sin. Our sin causes us to be dead in our trespasses. And it comes down to this. Well, it doesn't all come down to this, but here's another point. We're all at the bottom. Remember, to speak evil is to speak down right? It's to down and to speak, to speak down. We're all at the bottom. And when it comes to our own righteousness, if we remain and understand that we stand on the same level as everyone else, this will help us when speaking evil. We're all at the bottom. That means that we can't get any lower than sin. We can't get any lower than guilt. We can't get any lower than failure. We cannot get any lower than sinning against our God. And I want you to know, it's okay to be at the bottom. I know that's totally against our American culture. Everything in us wants to say, no, I can't be at the bottom. But it's okay that we're at the bottom because guess what? Jesus only comes for those that are at the bottom. Jesus only comes for those that are at the bottom. And we realize that we are at the bottom, then anything good that we experience comes from God. The Holy Spirit does the good, so every day is up from being on the bottom. If we're completely guilty, if we have nothing within ourselves to be able to do that's good from ourselves without Jesus, guess what? We're on the bottom. Every day we're on the bottom. But every day, there's only one other way to go, and that is up. There's only one other way, and that's God's goodness in our lives. That's God doing things in our lives. He allows us to live. Any good thing is a day that's up, is up. Again, if we're at the bottom, every day we can experience up from that point. One of the purposes of the law is to help us understand that within ourselves, apart from God, we, can, we cannot keep the law. When God enables us to understand that we are guilty of breaking God's law by breaking one, there is nothing left than for us to keep God's law by empowering mysteriously, empowering us mysteriously through the work of the Holy Spirit. 
How, how is it that God would cause us to even believe when we didn't believe before? How does that happen? We cannot put a formula on it. We cannot say this is what you do or this is how it happens. As a matter of fact, Jesus dealt with that with Nicodemus when he came to him, a Pharisee by night, and said, how does this happen? And Jesus answers his question without him even asking. You see the wind and where it comes and where it goes. In the same way, a man should be, must be born again, born of the Spirit, right? We don't know. We have no control. It's God's choosing. It's God's doing. Knowing that we are lawbreakers makes us want to keep the law. If all we know that we have broken the law, it makes me want to keep the law. It makes me want to obey. If all I know that my flesh is prone to sin, then what else is there to life than to live for Jesus? If I can't become any more guilty than what I already am, if I can't get any lower than the bottom, then why would I not want to live for Jesus? I was dead in my sins. I was blind and could not see. I was condemned to a place of eternal separation from God. So therefore, why would I not want to live for Jesus? And verse 4 in Ephesians, reading the rest, it says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy. And because of that great love which he loved us, even when we were dead, even when we're at the bottom, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, we've been saved. And he raised us up with him. And there's our up. He raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So whenever we think that we are better than someone else and we're ready to judge them, the only place that we have is to be seated with Christ that Christ does. Christ raises us up and seats us with him in heavenly places. So when we are there with Christ reigning forever with him, seated with him in heavenly places, the only people that will be next to us are the ones that Jesus rose up. It ain't going to be because they've done anything at all. Nothing. So why would we judge someone why would we speak evil of someone when we too have been evil, when we too have been judged? But our judgment was placed on Christ. And the only way that we came to know him was because what Christ did and does in our lives. Ephesians says it here, and he raises them up. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. It doesn't matter how much you sin, it cannot outweigh God's grace and mercy. God dies for our sins past, our, our sins present, and our sins future. There can never be a sin that can outweigh God's forgiveness and grace in our lives. And I understand that causes some of us, and we've been taught, to make us think, well, then I'm just going to go sin lic licentiousness. But when we realize how bad our sin is and how forgiving our God is, it makes us want to obey him. 
It makes us grateful. It does not make us want to go sin some more. Because why? Christ had to die for those sins. Yeah. Simi, it shows immeasurable riches of his grace. This is such good news. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. God does this in us. And not a result of works. Again, there's nothing we can tie to it that we do so that no one may boast. And that's where all evil speaking comes from, is boasting, this pride, this speaking down, this thinking we've got here. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Who's the one working here? It's Jesus. Who, is, who are we? His workmanship, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepares every single good work that you will do. That's why I say the bottom is where we're at. Everything good and everything up is all Jesus. So whenever there's something that we do that is good, we want to take note of it. We want to write it down. We want to thank God for that. We want to praise God for that. And we want to give God all glory for that. And look forward to more good works. Because why? He made a promise that through our union with Christ that he would enable us to deny ungodliness, to deny this flesh, to deny evil speaking. But I want to tell you, it's hard. It's what Paul says, where he says, man, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. That's the daily walk with Christ. And I don't know about you, but again, two weeks ago when I started studying this, I failed like within the first five minutes of studying this, like of saying something wrong, of thinking something wrong of someone else. Like, I don't care what we're talking about, where we're at. This is like impossible. It is impossible to not judge. It is impossible not to speak evil. It is, impo- is there anyone here that's never done that? Is there anyone here that's never done that? It's impossible. But there is a workmanship. We are his workmanship. And he has these good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So by having a low view of the law and what it requires to speak about someone breaking that law makes us a law maker, right? And judge the law that we can actually judge and makes us out to be God. So we have a low view of that. And then we have a low view of God's holiness. Somehow we think that we could obtain it. And that's what causes us to speak evil and to judge And we also have a low view of the gospel and what God has done for us. That he has died on the cross for our sins. And that he took our shame and took our guilt away. And whenever we have that low view, it causes us to be where James says, speaking evil, slandering, and judging, and making ourselves out to be God. I know that doesn't sound like good news. I know that is not an easy Uh, topic to talk about but I think it's very important because if we are to exist in unity the thing that Jesus prayed for three times in his high high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 in the gospel is for us to focus and gaze upon the good news if you would uh, before we prepare for uh, the Lord's Supper and the worship team come up if you would close your eyes for me just for one minute.
I'm not sure what you're going through. I'm not sure what you've been through this last week. Even in light of this, this sermon today and the topic that we're talking about, which is judging, would you raise your hand if you've been guilty for judging or speaking evil? You can put your hand down now. I want you to know that there's good news for you. There's good news for me. I'm not sure if you have been going through fear and anxiety and depression and maybe you have just been feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and this life is really tough and you just don't know how you're going to make it. I want you to know there's good news. I don't have a list of what you can do or what you should do or what you shouldn't do. But what I do, do have is I have the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for you. The good news is that he loves you and that he forgives all of our sins and that he's already conquered this world and he's conquered everything that's at, that comes at you today. And it doesn't matter how, guilty, how many times you will be guilty for your sins and for these sins of being speaking evil or any others that you were this week. There is forgiveness for your sins in Jesus Christ. Would you respond to the gospel today as we partake of the Lord's Supper by receiving this forgiveness of sins, by believing that there's nothing you can do to earn God's forgiveness, but only to believe and to receive as a proper response to the gospel. And then as you, we're ready and as we take of the Lord's Supper, uh, where the Lord said, this is my body which is broken, would you receive that his life was broken, was given, was murdered and put on a cross for you? And that the Father in all he requires, God the Father in his law, and all the sin that we have uh, done has been paid for through that death. And then that his blood, as we take of the, the grape juice, is a symbol that his blood was poured out. And that you would know that on the third day he rose again to give us new life. And the reason why you believe this and the reason why you're here today is because he's, did, he's done that in you and he will preserve that in you. And that he's working even through these uh, foolish words that I'm saying right now, something spiritual, supernatural in your life, and he will continue to do it until the day that you see him face to face. Would you receive that today? Would you take a moment to put your mind on Jesus and what he has done and what he will do? No matter how bad your sin is, that he forgives that sin No matter how bad your situation is, that he must do for you what you cannot do for yourself in that bad situation that you're in. As the song was sung, he's a way maker. That he will make a way when there is no way. He will part the sea. He will walk on water. And he will save you. Would you call on him to save you today? Receive his forgiveness today 
If you have, we ask that you partake of the Lord's Supper. If you have not, come to a place where you truly believe that he's forgiven you, then we would ask that you would refrain from taking of the Lord's Supper because the word of God says that would be uh, uh, placing judgment on yourself by thinking that you could partake of the forgiveness of God without ever believing or receiving God's forgiveness. Father, I ask that you would allow us to be able to see that you are so good, that your law is good. What you say what is right to do is a good thing. It's a loving thing. And that you be able to allow us to see that we'll never be able to obtain and fulfill all of the law or any of the law within ourselves. And that we know that we are at the bottom and that you come for those that are at the bottom and that, that any good thing comes from you. So as we experience our daily lives, to know that we have eternity waiting for us and that we have nothing but good works and good things coming from you, God, that we begin to walk in those good things as you lead us, as you enable us, that we stop making excuses and saying that it's okay to sin and that it doesn't matter if we sin because uh, we want to lower your standards, we want to lower your holiness, but that we'd actually admit that our sin is deplorable our sin is bad our sin we can never understand even how bad it is but that even though that we have sinned that you forgive us and that you enable us God to deny our ungodliness deny the uh, the flesh to deny the life that Satan in this world is calling us to live this flesh is calling us to live and they'll be able to live a life God that you are enabling and calling us to live by focusing on the life that you've given us the new life in Christ, your life. Not focusing on ourselves, not focusing on what we do or don't do, but focusing on what you've done. Would you make the cross so big to us today? Would you make the tomb, the resurrection of the third day, God, be so big to us? Would you make your love that has a beautiful plan of saving us and taking us to be with you forever, would you allow that, God, to be so big to us today? Would you allow us to notice when we are actually empowered and enabled to say one thing, good thing, do one good thing, to be able to have a heart of compassion for others, to be able to serve others as, as those things happen in our lives, that we would take notice of them, that we remember that that's you working in us and that you're not going to stop, that we are united with you and it'll last forever until the day that you come. May we go to our brothers and sisters and not judge them, but love them. May we speak truth and love and concern if there is sin, if there's something wrong or something's happening, but out of a place that we're the broken sinner coming to another broken sinner. One dead person speaking to another dead person today. May we be a church that is a light unto this world and to this community, Father, that knows that we are forgiven by you. I pray for this in Jesus' name.